I'd like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I create today, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So I write as a way to kind of like expunge all of the thoughts and then I just turn to people who can support me like my partner, my mum who ran a business for 25 years, my therapist, my mentor. Like over the last sort of six to eight months I've had a really strong intention around creating a support circle. I've typically like historically been someone who's super bad at asking for help and I kind of got to a point where I'm like oh my god like I actually can't continue to sort of do this myself, whatever I was working through, business, personal, etc. And I made a really strong intention to kind of like create a support network around me. And I didn't know what it looked like, but I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And about six to eight weeks later, somehow I'd like manifested like this group of women around me, you know, most of them in their 50s, all from different walks of life, some a formal kind of mentorship agreement, some informal, amazing coach, a psychologist, just like, and I turn to them. So I, I think I go inward in terms of like writing and just trying to process my thoughts and feelings. And then I have like this amazing group of people that I turn to for help, which has been like transformative for me. Dearest you, this episode is really a bit of a full circle moment for me personally. Caitlin and Anna actually interviewed me way back in 2018 for what was then a soon to launch podcast, but is now the very well established Lady Brains. I was still working in publishing at the time and I'd begun recording for offline, but it was still my little secret. So to be sitting here five years later, having an honest conversation about the absolute texture and terrain that we've all moved through as podcasters and founders, yeah, it's a real honor. Like we're still here. We're still doing the thing. Caitlin and Anna and I recorded this in December 2022, and we had what I think is a really uncommon and kind of complex conversation about being a founder while also helping other founders on their way. We serve very differently, but we share many of the same beliefs and challenges and experiences, but also some very different as well. I'm proud of this conversation because it feels like the antidote to that kind of polish and shine of typical founder interviews. We don't talk in grabs. We take time to think about what we want to say. There's a lot of purposeful pauses and it might just be me, but this feels really compelling and encouraging as we come out of the era that hurt more of us than it helped. Girl boss and the grind culture that came with it. So we hope you love our very (laughs) honest conversation and we hope that it allows you a moment to lean out and make contact with something that is real and unscripted. 
So here's Caitlin and Anna from Lady Brains for Offline the Podcast. So as you both know, this beautiful podcast has evolved over the years to become not just an exploration of true self, but also how we define success from that state and that place. And I wondered what you've observed about the perceptions of success in the founder space that you serve in. Like what are people fundamentally trying to achieve when they kind of engage with your brand and and start working with you? I think it's interesting because I think the definition of success for a business and for a founder has sort of evolved based on the conversations we've had. Like we've been interviewing and speaking with a lot of women who um, are building sort of venture-backed businesses or businesses and where they've received investment. And, you know, a few years ago success was really like, growth at all costs. Like success looked like raising a ton of money and hiring quickly and growing quickly and just building a really big brand. And I think with the sort of new economic environment, et cetera, success is now looking quite different for those businesses, which is actually not growing at all costs, but figuring out how to become profitable and sustainable. So I think from a business perspective in that space, success has changed a little bit. But I think from a founder perspective, I think people from the conversations that we've had are redefining success such that it's not all tied up in their work and their business. And I don't want to use the word balance because I hate that word, but I think success is sort of starting to look a little bit more like just happiness in all, all areas of life, fulfillment in all areas of life, feeling like <clears throat> the business and the work isn't their entire life and there's more variety. And I think, yeah, I think people and, and, and myself included, to be honest, are starting to kind of change that definition away from like your business is your only thing in your life. Um, and I think that's kind of possibly partly due to the pandemic and everyone just sort of reassessing all different facets of their life and what's important. But I definitely feel like there's a shift towards more, a more holistic version of success rather than success being sort of pigeonholed and attached to building a business. Mm, I think I would agree with that. What's difficult though is, you know, if you are a venture-backed business there are expectations for you to succeed and they may not align with your version of success. And so, you know, sometimes you get caught in that kind of, that space where it's like, well, whose version of success am I chasing? Is it someone else's or is it mine? And I definitely think, you know, post-pandemic and, you know, the economic climate that we currently find ourselves in has brought up questions around define success for yourself. Mm. Um, what does it look like? And and I, I can see that evolution, but I also feel like there's a lot of people still scratching their heads. And, you know, when you're faced with 
the harsh realities of, yeah, a tough economy and and a pandemic and, and, you know, so many other transitions, life transitions, you know, you're kind of going, what does it look like for me now? Um, and it's great that we're having this conversation and we continue to have this conversation. I think particularly being a woman in business is difficult um, to define what success is and to do define that in all areas of your life and to do that well is a whole nother, a whole nother you know, conversation. But it's great that we're having this conversation and it's not just, you know, putting your nose to the to the ground and just grinding away. Um, we really are responsible now for defining what success looks like for us as individuals and, and for the people around us as well. Mm. So it's a great conversation to be having. It is. And, you know, <clears throat> you both raised the pandemic and I suppose the recession that we're, if we're in it or entering it or where that's at, but... <laughs> It's really interesting to hear that because on my side within my business, it's actually been a very live conversation for the last four years. And so what I'm kind Mm. of feeling into now is the meeting of those two worlds because part of how I identify it as it's an awakening and some people have been moved into their awakening through the pandemic Mm. and some people arrived there before that through some other life event usually, isn't it? It's those transitions that we were talking about earlier, um, trauma, huge life moments that cause us to really face ourselves. And I think as difficult as the pandemic was, and we hold so much privilege in how we were able to ride through that and experience that because many other people weren't, there we can draw at least one tiny little positive in that we have had to sit with ourselves and face ourselves. And when things slowed, it created that space for us to go, hold on, like talk a lot about this kind of regaining the kind of boundaries of our nervous systems. We didn't have a chance. We were just fucking doing, you know, mm. and going. And then I think what we were presented with was, it wasn't rest, was it? Because it was more of a survival piece, but there mm-hmm. was space to kind of feel into what else and what haven't I paid attention to actually in my pursuit of um, somebody else's, perhaps somebody else's definition of success. And I love that you raised the point about raising money or accepting money because mm-hmm. I think a lot of founders who still have that ambition um, really need to go into that with some awareness of what will you need to be willing to give up and what will you need to sacrifice in doing that. But can we talk a little bit more about that? Because it's very much the world that you operate in. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned from founders who have taken that working capital? And perhaps the ones that have been a little bit more challenged, I think that's more the story than the success stories. They feel few and far between to me. Mm. Yeah, I think probably the biggest lesson, um, from the founders that we've spoken to that have taken on money is that money doesn't solve all your problems and that sometimes taking money can actually make the journey more challenging if it's not necessarily the right partner or whether, or, you know, if that, that investor or that partner's expectations don't align with yours or they have a different vision for your business and they want to steer you in a different direction. So there are many stories out there of people who've taken money, hoping that it will mm. sort of transform their business and and take them to the next stage of growth. And actually it's been really challenging. So I think another lesson, another really 
it's it's funny. It seemed, probably seems obvious, but when you're raising capital, it's really important to take money from people that you trust, mm-hmm. taking the right money, you know, and, and I'm just thinking of a conversation I was actually having in the car last night with a, a friend of mine who um, who's recently raised and, and actually a, a company that Anna and I um, are investing in too. And, um, and she was talking about this, uh, this venture fund that, you know, she was going back and forth with. And, and in the end, she just said to me, it just didn't feel right. I, in the end, turned down the offer. Um, and, you know, she really trusted that that was the right decision. And, and, you know, what do you boil it down to? Well, there are a few things, you know, the check size actually just didn't equate to the amount of effort that she had to put into, to, you know, win that one over. But at the same time, she just felt like they weren't the right people to be either on the cap table or to just be in her network and circle. Um, and so you really do want to be taking money from, the, you know, the right people. And again, it's like, what does that mean for you? What do you need personally? And what does the business need when you take it? It's an exchange, just like anything. Um, and you're responsible for what you do with it. And I think, yeah, you, you need to ensure that that aligns to your values. It's funny you say, <clears throat> my voice, um, the right people and and you say that the right people the right person will look different to everyone based on your mm. kind of values and what you're setting out to achieve what are some of the questions that you've learned that we can be asking when we get in those rooms to um to be able to discern actually because i know I, I suppose on one level it's felt you just know, and we have to trust that especially mm. as women in business that when that fine level of feeling bubbles up that it's, it's speaking to us. So we trust that. But aside from leaning into that kind of more felt side of it, what are a few, at least of the questions that we can be asking to try and figure out, like, does this person have my business's best interests at heart? Well, I think um, before diving into the questions, I think a decision-making framework that I use and we sort of um, share with a lot of people that we work with is around the head, heart, gut. You know, your gut is what do you know to be true? Like what is your intuition telling you about this investor or this person and and whether they're the right fit? What do you feel when you talk to them? Are they a good human? I think that's a really, really important question and, and thing to consider. Do you enjoy spending time with them? Do they add value in the conversations? Do you feel like they're a nice person? Do you feel connected to them? And then there's the the head, which is the thinking, the more intellectual assessment, you know, what skills do they bring? What experience do they bring? What other sorts of businesses have they invested in? Um, why do they want to invest in my business? What potential and opportunity do they see? So I think, you know, there are those questions you can ask, but it's really like, do all of those things line up? Do you think that they're the right person? Do they have the right experience and the right knowledge? Do you feel like they're a good person? Do you get along? And what does your gut say? Like, do you know that you want them in your circle? And I think when it comes to, I mean, this is so applicable to every hard decision or every big decision in Mm. your life, really, not just business. But I think that's a really good framework because oftentimes we can sort of overplay one of those things and underplay the others. And I think from my sort of experience, and I think a lot of people probably lean into the more intellectual, like what's my intellectual assessment? What do I think about this situation? Um, 
but you kind of really need all three to, to line up when it comes to really big decisions. And I think, you know, choosing the right partners in your business in general, like not just investors, any sort of partners that you bring in, those three really have to line up. Mm. And through that lens, you can see how it may take many, many meetings to get that kind of trinity into alignment. And this Mm. is a really good lesson for anyone listening is there's going to be the one or two initials. And I think we've all had those where you're like, that's exciting. And that desire to want to say yes to that, because again, what would the release of that sort of cash within my business, how could that help me not be working at 10 o'clock at night and not be working on the weekend and all of those really Mm. emotional responses but to kind of stay the course, isn't it, of like in order to get those three to line up, it might take you five, ten different meetings. And so I guess that requires the the patience. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because, you know, when you are raising, you know, say pre-seed or seed, which is, um, for, you know, for people who perhaps haven't come across those terms, um, you know, early stage investment. Um, and you don't, you actually don't have a whole lot of time. It, you know, you, you're trying to close rounds quite quickly, but from an investor and a founder perspective, you're dating quite quickly and intensely and furiously. And it's almost like you have to try and align the head, heart, gut as quickly as possible. And that is, that's a skill. It's difficult. And I think it probably gets better. You, you get better at that um, over time. And, and you could start doing that by just seeking out, you know, mentors and, 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 business partners. Like you don't have to start there by strengthening that head, heart, gut, you know, as you're raising capital. But I think, I think you can't underestimate getting into the room, getting into a room with someone or on a, on a Zoom call. And, and if you can't connect with that person over something that is not business, like it really is, it's about, it's just about getting into the room with someone and being able to have a conversation that sits outside of your remit. And, and connecting over something, what's that common ground? And yeah, do you really feel like this is a good person? And it's, you know, even saying that, it's like, oh, is that solid advice? But I'm telling you some of the best kind of mentors and, and I think founders, they're just genuinely good humans and you have to be able to nut that out very quickly. It's also interesting though, because I think everyone has a different experience. Like <clears throat> I remember Maver, who you've interviewed mm. on the podcast, the founder of Bread Beauty Supply, in the beginning when she was trying to raise, I remember her saying like, you know, there are some investors that will come back asking for more meetings and more information and more um, context. And she's like, you know, those are the time wasters, you know, and I think Mm. she has a very good sense of intuition. And, you know, maybe at that time she could kind of discern between the ones who are asking for more meetings because they were actually interested versus those who are asking for more information for the sake of asking for more information. So I think everyone's experience is different, but um, yeah, it can be a tough one. Like sometimes, you know, more meetings doesn't necessarily mean more interest. So, I mean, Mm. the variety of stories that people share around raising capital, like there's no one way. Um, Yeah. So, Anna and I are doing a program at the moment called First Believers. It's part of Startmate. It's, um, at, you know, an angel investing program. And just the idea, right, the term First Believers, it's like you're looking for those people that believe in you in those early days. They're the ones that are like, I trust you. I, you know, believe in you as a founder. You know, I'm, I have the solid conviction, not just your idea and, you know, the economics behind this idea, but really you're backing a founder in those early days. And so it's like a two-way street. It's like 
you have to find your believers, your first believers. And again, you also have to believe in, in, you know, the fact that they're standing there waving the flag for you. So yeah, it's, it's, it's dating. It's, it's a relationship (laughs) that you're building. And again, you've just got to go in there and go, I trust this person. I like this person and, and hope, hope for the best. (laughs) Mm. Is someone building the founder investor dating app? Is that being built? (laughs) It's a good point. I've heard of a lot of marketplaces being built Mm. around like connecting founders, investors, mentors, et cetera, but there's definitely a gap. It's well, definitely ladies, a gap. We should put our heads together on that one. Oh, um, I love that you raised Maver because I've been, I have started this season by doing some checking in episodes with really early guests. And she is actually on my list because when we first <gasps> spoke, I think she was just coming out of the Sephora Accelerate program mm, wow. and Bread hadn't actually launched. So I'm really keen to chat to her about those, the past two years. She mm. would have a lot to share. She yeah. <laughs> absolute superstar. She's a superstar. Weapon. Mm. She's just something. And for anyone listening, you might know that Maeva first started in Lady Brains. And um, I think I was your first, I don't know if your first episode, but one of your first interviews. You were Mm -hmm. one of our first, I think you were in the first five in 2018, I think it was. Yeah. Wild. I know. And it was that time where I think I had started recording for the podcast, but I don't think I had announced it because I hadn't resigned. You hadn't. It was all in that time. Because we recorded at your offices at Allure. And then after we turned the mic off, you were like, well, I'm actually working on my own podcast. (laughs) 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 You're like, oh, I remember I was very like, in that interview, I was like, you know, there'll be something else for me thinking. I'm out of here. I know exactly what this is. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to talk to you about starting a business with a friend. Um, So many people will relate to your story of sort of having the wine and uncovering that business idea and wanting to start something together. Um, What has it been like to um, build something with a friend while at one stage living together, of course, as well? Um, and I guess like the build question from that is how did you, or have you created that separation also? It's a big question. It's a big question. And I think it's important to acknowledge, um, it's important to acknowledge factors outside of our control. You know, I don't think that we perhaps would have worked lived together um, and maintained, you know, friendship for as long as we did. Um, and, and I think a lot of that w- came down to the pandemic. You know, it, was, it, it really did put a lot of strain on the business um, and, and on our friendship and living situation. Wearing three hats is very, very difficult. I think you can, you can do two and kind of get away with it, but to do three um, is almost impossible. And, 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 you know, at the start it was, it was great. It was fantastic, you know, cause you're so efficient. You're like, oh my God, we're like, right. You wake up, you work, you, you know, you get things done. But then, you know, as, as I said, external factors, um, the environment changed and, you know, it was, it, you're trying to survive. Right. And then you're also trying to keep a business going, keep a friendship going, keep a household going, keep everyone happy. And, um, that's a lot, that's a lot for a person to manage. So I think it's important to just kind of acknowledge up front that, you know, 
there have been things going on outside of our control. Um, and Anna and I are both in that time of experience, significant loss, um, you know, our own kind of mental health challenges. Um, you know, there are definitely things that we've had to work through um, on top of, you know, our friendship and business. So that's, you know, I think context, but yeah, look, going into business with your friend, I mean, it's, it's such a cool thing, right? It's such a privilege. It's such an honor. And I think that, yeah, there are so many stories of people sitting down over a glass of wine and, and coming up with this business idea. And for Anna and I, you know, we bonded very early, you know, we, we, we went to school together. Um, we're school, high school friends and we bonded not only over our love of, um, musical theatre and, and you know, we're in the same house and, you know, we used to compete. We're very competitive, you know, together. Um, but we also bonded over this shared love of ideas and business, really. Like it was what's going on out there? What are some of the, you know, latest, most amazing business ideas? And we used to come up with our own crazy ones. We have many, many failed business ideas. <laughs> Um, that we've spoken at large about on our podcast. And um, and that was a fun time, you know, trying to come up with some wacky, wonderful ideas. But, you know, Lady Brains started purely because we were trying to satisfy our own needs of creating um, a network of women in business. And and we did that. And And it's funny, it was kind of a side thing for quite a while until we decided to go full-time right before the pandemic, which was <laughs> Lovely, brilliant love timing. That for you. No, brilliant you, could never, timing. you literally could never have known. You no. couldn't script it and you no. couldn't script it. And, you know, I think it's, it's funny, you know, you kind of mentioned before, it's like at what stage of, of, you know, the pandemic, where are we in this whole journey? Right. And, and at the moment you can kind of look back and go, well, you can look back, you know, there's retrospective um right now going okay that's we've survived some pretty amazing things but we're also going through it you know we're also still going through it and figuring out kind of our new journey and our and and you know personally the business um and where we want to head so yeah it's um it's it's as I said it's been it's been an amazing opportunity to be able to build a business with a friend I was going to say I recently, not recently, a year ago, I, um, I suppose engaged my first proper contractor who is now essentially an employee. And whoa, it was lonely before then, <laughs> you know, and mm. just the, um, just that feeling of momentum and that camaraderie and having someone so deeply in the business's corner with me and wanting it to work as much as me, there's just nothing like it. And I, I often think about now, like, you know, that was three years into my journey. I absolutely wish I'd sought out that partnership and that help earlier. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really hear you when you say it's, it's an honour and it's a privilege and it's also just more fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, Caitlin and I have had some of the most amazing experiences. Like we've been to New York to record. We've done our Fashion Week partnership. We've, you know, met the most incredible people. Like there have been so many amazing shared moments. Um, but there have also been some really, really low moments too, like some really tough moments. And I think, 
you know, our lives during the pandemic, as Caitlin said, was so enmeshed, <laughs> like so enmeshed. And, you know, for that time that we were building the business, to be honest, trying to keep the business alive in those first, that first year of the pandemic and trying to figure out what the fuck was going on, mm. living together, not being able to really leave the house. And then also, you know, going through our own personal mental health challenges and trying to, you know, support the friendship and all of that it was very hard and we had no space. Like we weren't able to create space in our life because of that situation. So, you know, I think it's like props to us for coming out the other side still, you know, like in this place because Mm. it's been, yeah, it's been really tough. It's been really tough. But, you know, as Caitlin said, like doing it alone would be really hard. Um, So, yeah, we've had some amazing moments but also some tough ones, but I think that's business. I think, you know, going into a business and going into a business partnership, you really do have to be eyes wide open. Um, it's a roller coaster mm-hmm. <laughs> in every way. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I think, you know, Alison, to what you said earlier, which is, you know, we've had, now we have the space mm. to be able to, it change, it shifts your perspective. Um, and, you know, when you're, in the thick of it and you're living together and, and you know, that is the business, like your life centered around the business, you just aren't as, you, you're not as productive because you're having like a lot of the similar same conversations and you don't really oh, have yeah. like deadlines to fi- fin- fix things, finish things. You know, it's just, it can yeah. be, it's, it, it, it really actually, it, you know, living and working and being best friends all in the same, all at the same time it's not really a recipe for success. And so by creating this space, by moving out, like we did move out, um, you know, obviously earlier in Melbourne and creating, starting to build that space back into the relationship. um, Yeah. You just, you treat your time with a lot more respect. That's for sure. Your energy and your time, not just your time, but also your energy and, and what you bring to the business and what you bring to the friendship and the relationship at large. I think there's been sort of seasons to the business and the friendship. It's almost like a U shape. Like when we started Lady Brains, Caitlin had her own consulting business. I had a job. We had Maver. It was a side hustle. And we had our own lives, you know, and Lady Brains was a section of that life. Then, you know, we quit our, our jobs. We went all in on the business, but we still, you know, were able to travel and we had our independent friends and do things. And then the pandemic happened and it was like everything became enmeshed. So I think we're slowly kind of coming out of that state. You know, we, we, we decided to not live together anymore. Um, and then Caitlin's sort of in Sydney. So we're kind of trying to find that new, I guess, dynamic, that new phase. But New normal. Yeah, mm. that new normal. So I think, you know, space and having your own independent sort of life and relationships and passions Existence. and hobbies yeah, that like are whole outside the business and and outside our friendship is healthy. Like you need that. Mm. We needed that, but it was really hard to have that in, you know, when we were living together in lockdown and so forth. So I feel like, yeah, we're, we've come up for air, which has been really great. And it's been, you know, mm. much better for our friendship, I think. 
Beautiful. Before we move off the friends piece, I actually hate it when people ask me this question. I'm going to ask you. Um, (laughs) What's your number one piece of advice? It's like, I don't have one piece of advice. But for anyone listening who is having that really active conversation with their friend about this thing they're going to start, what would be your advice, knowing what you know, knowing what you've been through? If there's kind of that key takeaway, let's get in early with that piece of wisdom that you think will help them on their way. Ooh, um, I think I think there's two things that I would say. I think the first thing that I would say is go in, go in with your eyes wide open, but go in and set boundaries, you know, set those boundaries and whatever that means for you, you know, whether that's related to when you work together, um, carving out friend time versus work time, um, whether it's, you know, I'm not willing to do X, Y, Z or, you know, like I think you just, you really have to, it's like creating a bit of a, like a, not a prenup, but, you know, almost like terms of engagement, like what does this relationship, what is this relationship going to look like? And, you know, we were speaking to two friends who are, um, you know, co-founders of, of a business and and they did that at the start. They were like, yeah, this is what this looks like. Um, these are our almost, yeah, these are our boundaries. Um, these are the rules and this is how we're going to play by it. And then I think the second thing is, and honestly, it, you can apply this to the business, but you should also apply this thought to your co-founder relationship. And it doesn't have to be a best friend. It could just be anyone that you go into business with. Are you willing to lose it all? Are you willing to lose it all? Because that is absolutely a reality and that could happen. Oh, yeah. I am like right in the thick of this at the moment with my colleague. I said to her just over 12 months ago when I engaged her to help me, I said to her, I'm going to drain the business bank account trying. So I know that if I have to walk away, that I've given it everything and every dollar. And we hit a point of capacity in November. And you know, the bottleneck with creativity and creation. It's like, if I'm actively serving inside my professional development space, there's very little room for me to create anything else. And we were supposed to launch something in November, which would have that injection of revenue to get us through till Feb. And it was a capacity thing. We had to not do it. And so we're in a very real financial trough, we're calling it, where, and I'll be really honest with you, it's going to require me to put money in the business out of my savings. And I I started the business with my savings, but it has been some time since I've needed to use them again to sustain the business. And this is a very real conversation is, are you willing also to put your hard-earned and your money in. And that money, you know, for me, I'm married and I have a two-year-old and we don't have many, we don't have any assets, you know. So as a 37-year-old woman, there's also the responsibility I have to take to say at what point Mm. am I now potentially disadvantaging my own family and my financial future. So I really valued that one because the losing it thing or the, the conscious decision to walk away Mm. to be ready for that is that's big time that's all time like 
Mm. Mm. It is. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it's, you know, it's a story that we have heard a lot in our community. Um, of, you know, yeah, people being in that position where they have to add money into the business or they don't know if it's worth it anymore. Because as you said, like there is so many sacrifices that go along with keeping a business alive and growing it. So yeah, I think that's part of the founder experience is like you always get to a point where you're like, is this worth it? And you have to make mm. the decision to continue or not to continue. And there are so many factors that play into that. Um, but it's a tough spot to be in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this also is this it- whole <coughs> idea, it's this whole idea of like the sunk cost fallacy as well. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I've put so much time, so much money, so much energy and effort into building this thing. Am I willing to let go of all of that? Mm-hmm. You know, this for me is, is so much of the shape of the space I facilitate, my work as a coach, who I'm helping to start things and grow things or to succeed inside other businesses. This is where it comes back to um, that kind of what's dharmic and what feels purposeful and who we're serving mm-hmm. and what our mission is. Because I think if you don't have a wholly aligned mission and you're not building something that feels useful um, and meaningful and that you're able to serve people deeply, that for me, if I didn't have that, I think I would have walked a long time ago. But for me, it's continuing to show up to a community of people who are moving through some of the biggest transitions of their lives and being a facilitator of their awakening I want that for everyone and I think that's been that kind of the balance of but at what cost. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think you have to have that connection, don't you, to your mission and and the community that you're serving because I can't imagine being in a business where it feels, I suppose, more transactional and one-dimensional. I think that there's no texture there for me, you know. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God, I mean, that just so resonates with me and and I think sometimes it can be a bit of a sticky spot because I'm so driven by my purpose and my mission and to, you know, help women succeed in business. You know, that's never been a question. I wake up and I show up for that every day. But you're right. Sometimes you have to ask yourself at what cost. And you may be following your heart, but there are other areas of your life, i.e. your bank balance, that might be saying, hey, you know, is this the right path to continue down? Um, And that can be so hard because it's such a beautiful pull to want to serve, right? It's such a nice space to be in and I love it. It lights me up. I love seeing other people succeed and the feedback that you get from, you know, women or anyone that, you know, has, has been impacted or touched by you. Oh, it's beautiful. But yeah, you also have to look at your life and go, well, am I doing right by myself, by my family, by my, you know, everyone else that that's in my life? And I think the other thing is like, you know, I don't necessarily believe that purpose is always tied to work for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people get purpose from their kids or their family, or a lot of people get purpose from a passion that isn't a passion that they've monetized, you know? So I think there's this like pressure sometimes 
for people to find their purpose and build this business that, that is aligned with their purpose. And that's amazing for a lot of people, but I don't think that's necessarily the path for everyone. And I think, you know, a lot of people feel the weight of the expectation to find what their purpose is and then and create something from that. And I think that can be unproductive for some people. So I think that's important to call out. The purpose is, I think it's more broad than just your work for some people. Absolutely. And for a lot of people, I would say. Yeah. And mm. that's what I was going to say is one of my biggest messages inside my space is those stories are, they are the lucky ones. They're, the, they're few and mm. far between. And the the reality and what is far more normal if there had to be a normal is that you have a funding role. Mm. And that's a job that hopefully we um, find some grace in. We um, at the very least tolerate that we have a connection to and enjoy the people we work for and the work we do. Um, and that funding role um, sustains us in being able to move in the direction of what feels purposeful, whether that be being a present parent, caring for a parent, um, starting something to your point that doesn't have to monetize. And I think that kind of the capitalist system that we work in has trained us really well to juice and extract every idea we ever have and try and monetize it. Mm. And this is how I think about real kind of creative and commercial restraint, you know, of really kind of having that, you know, discernment again of like, does this have to spin cash? Not necessarily. Mm. You can just do it because you feel good. <laughs> feel doing you love it. it. Yeah. Some yeah. of the like the kind of consistent pieces of advice that I've listened to or heard or read from writers specifically is around like in the early stages when you're trying to be a writer or if you feel that your creative pull is to write, don't try and write for money because actually that takes the creativity out of it. So I think a lot of the time, like I th- actually think a lot of the time people do find purpose in their own particular expression of creativity. Yeah. And sometimes trying to commercialize that creativity actually isn't the point. It's like it, it's sort of against the whole reason that you want to do it. Um, so I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also why we, we've we talked at length on our show and, and to our community is go and find a hobby. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, yeah. I, I mean, even the word hobby now, it's just like, oh, my God, it's such a, it's such a funny word. And, and, <laughs> Literally replace though. it with what you will. But, you know, it is it is that idea that outside of your business you are doing something for yourself that you mm. value, that's creative, that, you know, is aligned to your purpose. But, it, yeah, you're not making money from it. And it's such a nice space to be able to crawl into, you know, away from the business that, you know, you're trying to monetize. So, yeah, having hobbies and doing something creative and that's, for the sake of exactly that is so nice. Mm. Are you open to sharing where you're both at in business in relation to this idea of needing a funding, some funding role, projects, et cetera, that help sustain the business? Or is the business at a point where you're able to draw a relative income from it? It's sort of ebbed and flowed over the last few years. Like there have been times where we definitely have been able to draw an income and then there are times where we've had to pick up external work to kind of fund our lives. Um, so, yeah, I mean we're, you know, cash flow is tough in business, especially when, um, you know, I know. you're dealing with, with like <laughs> a large, you know, a large 
part of the our business is actually brand partnerships and sponsorships and so working with brands and um you know selling directly to brands and people not paying on time and all of that sort of stuff so cash flow is tough for us and and there definitely are times when we have to kind of go and do other work to just kind of um cover ourselves um and we're trying to work through all of that at the moment yeah Mm. well reporting from the side of (laughs) (laughs) staring down an injection of capital Mm. My um, colleague is quite literally on a call with our accountant now, just mm. laying out the um, the full picture for the next kind of three months. So yeah. I'm expecting an email with a number on it, in it, um, and then that'll just be with me to decide, okay, A, if I have it, um, and then having a conversation with Tony, are we willing to invest it with a really thorough plan of when the business will pay that back to us. Um, but, yeah, it's... I just want to honour I want to honour that because you're sitting right in it oh, right yeah. now. Like that's... Mm. Like we can so empathise yep. with with what, how you must be feeling because, yeah, God, we've had many crossroad moments like that it's like can we sustain another and and as Anna said it ebbs and flows sometimes Mm. just it's flying (laughs) like oh great and then yeah just then you look at it and go where did all that money go (laughs) oh my god seriously because like when I look at our um when I look at our numbers what we've achieved in 12 months is Mm. phenomenal Mm-hmm. And one of our biggest goals was obviously stabilizing revenue, which was, you know, part of the mm. kind of role in in the space. And so, you know, by all accounts, we are quote unquote succeeding. Um, but I think the the conversation we're having right now is really about cash flow, isn't it? And mm. and we had a um there's been a level of um kind of financial negligence in that our old accountant just didn't show up in the business that we in the way that we had hoped that she would and that has left us um yeah relatively exposed Exposed. but really Mm. relevant I think and I was talking to my colleague about this we are tasking ourselves with helping people start things that mean something and we need to feel this in our bodies it's very relevant Mm. for us to have this very visceral feeling, but the role for us in being um, conscious coaches and having a regular meditation practice and having that more kind of spiritual lens on the way we do business, it requires us to ground down into the thing, to practice what we preach, but we can't take them there if we haven't been there ourselves. And so Mm -hmm. this is useful for us, but we need to create space between the feeling in the body and the story attached to it. So it's big work. It's good work. (laughs) And it's actually weirdly some kind of nice therapy for me to say it out loud in a world that, Mm. you know, I've always been really honest with my business, but I find a lot of founders keep it so close to their chest. I think that's absolutely their right. But I do think we need more founders talking about these types of realities just to set a more accurate accurate expectation for people going in. Because I don't know about you, but I didn't hear much of, much of this side. If interesting to know, I did have to put money into the business to see us through Christmas and the New Year period. 
It wasn't a huge amount relative to what I put in to start the business, but it was still a cash injection that came from my family's personal savings. And that is chunky to move through. We're sharing all of this, I hope and know I can speak on behalf of Caitlin and Anna when I say this, to share a more complete picture of the reality most founders experience. Challenges with cash flow are normal. For a lot of businesses, Christmas through to February is quiet. That's normal too. The key, I think, is planning for it. Build quiet periods into your forecast and work towards having three months worth of operating expenses in your account at all times. I'm not there yet, but the intention is there. Oh yeah. And I would say every business (laughs) experiences it, but I think it's interesting. Like the first time in our business, probably a year ago, maybe that we had like a real cash flow crunch. It was like super crunchy. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, we came out the other side and we're still here. So I think sometimes these experiences of getting to a point where you're like, oh my God, like how are we going to manage our way or like maneuver our way through this Mm. situation? you know, with the right support, you can make the right decisions and, and, you, and you do find a way to move through. So I wanted to move on. Actually, I suppose it's staying a little bit um, on this kind of topic of um, mental health, emotional health, physical, spiritual, <laughs> well-being, all these things. What do you both turn to on, let's say, in seasons like mine or like, on days like on days like these when you're feeling fatigued and perhaps um, you know that very natural hopelessness that can creep in mm. um, I write that's my therapy I mean I also have a therapist but <laughs> <laughs> they're good too um, oh yeah amazing oh my god um, so I write as a way to kind of like expunge all of the thoughts. And then I just turn to people who can support me, like my partner, my mum who ran a business for 25 years, my therapist, my mentor. Like over the last sort of six to eight months, I've had a really strong intention around creating a support circle. I've typically like historically been someone who's super bad at asking for help. And I kind of got to a point where I'm like, oh my God, like I actually can't continue to sort of do this myself whatever I was working through, business, personal, et cetera. And I made a really strong intention to kind of like create a support network around me. And I didn't know what it looked like, but I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And about six to eight weeks later, somehow I'd like manifested like this group of women around me, you know, most of them in their fifties, all from different walks of life. Some are formal kind of mentorship agreement, some informal, amazing coach, a psychologist, just like, and I turn to them. So I I think I go inward in terms of like writing and just trying to process my thoughts and feelings. And then I have like this amazing group of people that I turn to for help, which has been like transformative for me. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I mean, having people surrounding you is so important. Um, You can't do anything alone. And, you know, I think We give so much, but we do find it really difficult to ask for help. Um, 
And it's almost like I always question, I'm like, oh, my God, am I being a burden? Am I wasting their time? Will they be able to help? But once you do ask, people love to help other people, really. (laughs) And so just removing that, like, that barrier is so helpful. Um, for me, yeah, it's, it's similar surrounding myself with with great people, um, you know, mentors, coaches. Just I've had to work really hard to build a new network up here um, and just finding really solid people. Um, and and that could be difficult as an adult to make adult friends. Um but it's been really refreshing and really lovely. And so I've definitely drawn strength from building new relationships. Um, I think, you know, it's all about creating healthy habits and I've been really big on that. And I think, you know, it's probably what helped me over the last few years. And, you know, one of those things is, is like exercise is so important. Like I walk a lot, I run, I love to swim in the ocean like I do that every day now. That's been an absolute blessing. Um, you know, I find the ocean to be super healing, just looking at it, being in it. I watched whales for six months. It's become part of my, like, my personal brand. Everyone's like, how's the whale watching going? <laughs> and I just loved it. It's so, <laughs> so, like, it's just so simple and so beautiful just watching these whales. Like, their routine. that is their routine. Every year they do the same thing. They migrate, you know, and it's just like, watching them play and, oh, I don't know. I just, again, it was just like healing. It was, it was, it just tapped into that sense of taking care of my own well-being. It was headspace. I'd be able to sit there, meditate, watch these whales migrate. Um, so I did that for a good amount of time. I, you know, I do, I write and I draw as well. And like, I just love going into a bit of a research hole on something. Mm. So like the whales, now I draw them, I research them. I want to understand more about, you know, them. Um, I think that's really healing and and I take care of my well-being through that and you know just small things like whether it's brewing a tea and just sitting there and just enjoying it for what that is you know not just taking the time to to indulge mm. I think I think sometimes we don't indulge like I think pleasure and and just indulgence like we can lean into that. It's almost like we're not allowed to. I know. And 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 that can look different, you know, for everyone. And you've you've got your in whatever it could be chocolate tea, it could be anything, right? But I think taking that time to indulge a little bit um, and have fun. I don't even know mm. what the question was anymore, but now I'm just listing all the things no, that I like. I like the question perfectly. It's like, it's like um, what are you on? I like it. I just like, you know, go and have fun with good people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This is the thing is so much of what you're talking about is, you know, this very, what is understood as an idea, but is actually a reality that we can have is present moment awareness. And Mm. most of the time we are um, living within an idea and that idea is the future. And so Mm. our whole kind of the mind and the imagination we're always in this state of projection of what's coming and what it will look like and what will I sound like there and how will that be? And I always think so deeply about what are we missing that's right here, which is the whole fucking point of it. And brewing that tea and having that chalky or whatever it is can be a really beautiful entry point into present moment awareness if we only allow ourselves because 
the work obviously isn't going anywhere. The emails aren't going anywhere. The project or the deck or whatever we've got to build isn't going anywhere. And five more minutes sipping, (laughs) you know, um, but we have to kind of demand that for ourselves, don't we? And this is a really good segue into my next question. One of the You know, I still feel like it's not going to be, but I feel like there's a uniqueness to the way that we have um, decided to thoughtfully and consciously scale our business and to build a business that we ultimately want to work in and one that factors in our individual needs and our desire for rest and to be present parents and all of these things. And so our journey looks a little bit different because there's lots of things that we could have done that would have moved us into that more kind of masculine version of success that would have meant more money more quickly, but also required and demanded more of us. And so this slow grow, being deliberate with our growth has meant sacrificing usually revenue actually is what it is. Um, (laughs) But what I'm kind of getting at with this one is the prioritization of rest within the scaling and the growing and the creating how do you both rest and what have you realized becomes possible when you do? Rest has been really hard for me. It's not something that I'm, that I, it's not that I haven't valued it, but I just, I'm, I just haven't been wired. Like I'm very much a, a go, go, go person. And so um, I think I learned to rest during the pandemic, to be honest, <clears throat> probably towards the end of the pandemic, just because I was like so drained that I needed to rest. But I think, I think what I've learned is like rest is actually equally important as the work, both from a sort of like re-energizing and filling your own cup point of view, but also because that's where the creativity happens, (laughs) you know? And I think, I think our personal form of creativity, whether that is doing a podcast, whether that's writing, drawing, painting a painting, solving a problem, whatever that is, that is like what we have to offer the world. That's what only we can offer the world, our unique form of creativity. And I think you can't be in a creative state when you're focused wholly on just producing the work on output. So I think rest is really, really important from that perspective. And I think from a business perspective, the way that we've sort of structured the way that we work is we work in kind of sprints and then rest, sprints and then rest. So we launched our online course base camp in May and the sort of like six to eight weeks leading up to that were hectic. You know, we were working so hard. There was so much that needed to be done and we were just pushing, 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 pushing to this deadline. Um, And then we took time off. Mm. So um, I think... That seemed to work for us a little bit, but I think what we're now trying to do now that we've got kind of those, those products up is is sort of build rest a little bit more into kind of the daily routine and the daily operating rhythm of the business, um, which has felt a little bit softer and a little bit nicer. Um, but it's a balance mm. between kind of, you know, producing and generating revenue and, and working and then giving yourself that space and time to be creative and to just recharge and actually focus on the other things of of life that are important, friends, relationships, hobbies, exercise, whatever it might be. So it's balance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've never really struggled with rest. Um, (laughs) Love a snooze. No, I, um, 
yeah, I mean, it, it, your body needs to be able to regenerate. Like I think it, it's responsible to, to stop and rest. And, you know, I think when you do own your own business, yeah, it can be hard because like there's always one more thing. There's always something that's on the to-do list, right? So at what point do you go, okay, tools down, I need to step back. And, you know, I went away in August for a few weeks um, and I didn't take my laptop. And honestly, that's the first time that I've been away overseas without my laptop in years, years and years and years, many years. Like I, I was looking at it as I was walking out the door going, shit, should I just sneak it in? And I was like, no, to, I, like I had to forcibly, like I had to hide it and then walk out <laughs> the door. You had to unchain it from your wrist. <laughs> I, I, I literally had to. And it was really hard. Like, and, and I'm like, no, okay, like you're going on a holiday, like go and enjoy it, you know, go and rest. I mean, it was, I was moving around a bit, but it was like, but it was rest for my mind and, and just rest from the work. Um, and that was amazing. And, and you know, I've created again, you know, talking about just daily habits. Like I, I need to walk and rest and swim. You know, that is where I then refuel. Like, it's almost like, what's your, where do you refuel? Mm -hmm. You know, like everything needs to be refueled. Like nothing can run forever. Um, You have to rest, you've got to recharge. And, and so, you know, I make a point to try and work that in, you know, at the moment, like the last few weeks have been manic and crazy and I can just tell like my brain starts to kind of shut down and go, you need some time out. And, you know, I think I know Christmas time is coming and there'll be some rest built into that. But, yeah, it's it's just finding those little moments mm-hmm. and, and, and honouring that. Um, yeah, I mean, as I said, the whale watching was a, was <laughs> a hugely restful the time. The whales. <laughs> the whales. It was restful. It was peaceful. It was it was really nice. Yeah. It makes me think a lot about um, a wisdom session we had inside the space with Ella Noah Bancroft. She's an Indigenous mm. activist and mentor and just all-around fucking legend. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, you know, through obviously colonialism, which led us to capitalism, I've been kind of wired to create these lives that give us four weeks off a year to kind of defrag. Like why, like part of what she was teaching us about was rewilding and this kind of rise of the feminine energy and how to Mm. develop a relationship with um, the land and nature and we are it, we understand this, you know, you are the whale Mm. on some level. Mm. Mm, (laughs) Um, Totally. And it was really, you know, kind of sounds Mm. um, in some ways like, yeah, that's that makes sense. But when you really let it land in your body, you're like, goodness me, we understand how we got here, but now we've got either choosing to be here or or not. And she was really um, passionate about for the founders inside our space, really a call to action, me included, um, around this idea of growth and scale and um, going global and really asking us to really discern, is that relevant actually or is this more about this increasing movement to localization and how do we kind of move back into that more kind of tribe community mentality where we can comfortably, safely and in a really nourishing way keep it small you know, that measure mm. of success, it not being about, well, I mean, X amount of countries have this many people on my team and I, you know, bring in this much re- revenue. And 
one of the things we talk a lot about also in the space, and this is a big, big thing from me, is cultivating a relevant amount of economic wealth. Like you can decide your number. It isn't about million dollar fucking months. Like, you know, there'll be a number that we kind of call our true self-success salary that has you... Um, more than comfortable in a state of overflow and what that overflow allows is for you to consciously recirculate your money into the communities, groups, people who need it. And Mm. it just starts to feel really, really encouraging. I don't know if you feel that too, but of just kind of going, no, I do not subscribe to that anymore. You know, and I think this is interesting for you both because you're in so deeply in that founder space Um, And I'll be really kind of interested, I suppose, just to see how that moves. I don't know whether relative to this country or just globally, but again, we come back to that kind of awakening, don't we, of how did we get here and is this mine? Whose is this? Now, I've mentioned my conscious professional development space a bit in this episode, so I want to talk a little bit more about it. It's called Off. And it exists to help anyone who works or has ambition to work to create a professional reality that feels like a direct extension of their true nature and their fundamental truths. For founders, it's a space that exists for your development. Oftentimes we focus always on our business's development and what our business needs But OFF is about meeting your needs. It's somewhere you can make a soft landing and know that you'll be held and heard. I offer personal voice coaching. We have expanding wisdom sessions, time together at the beginning of the month to set our professional intentions, do some conscious calendar blocking to build in our rest and our play and so much more. We open our doors twice a year. So if you're interested in joining us, you can follow me, of course, on social media. I always post it there or just email me on support at getoffline.co. I think it comes back to the broader why. Like, why are you doing this? And I think if your why is around contribution and impact and not only having an impact but being able to see and feel and hear that impact at a really micro level, then maybe maybe staying smaller makes sense. Um, you know, like I think there's no one size fits all but I think people are – I mean, not everywhere in the founder space. It's pretty diverse in terms of people's ambitions, but I definitely think there's, I think awakening is a good word in terms of people going, challenging their own beliefs around what success looks like and going, "Mm, actually, is growth the most important thing? Um, And for for some people it's actually not um, or not right now. So I think it's an interesting space. It's a space that feels like it's definitely evolving. Like when we started the podcast, it was 2018 and it was like the girl boss era. We've spoken about this Mm. tons. Um, But that ambition and that... um, And Sophia's apologised, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been a lot of interesting commentary on that. And I think, look, it served a purpose at the time. Um, But I absolutely think we've evolved past that definition of success. Like to me, that is a really masculine definition for women's success when there are so many other competing priorities and nuances around what it means to be a woman in business, a mother, 
a daughter, all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a great question. And I think it it does come back, I would agree, to, you know, what's your purpose, what's your why? But also, like, if you do have big ambitions, that's also okay. Mm. Like, I just think there are probably women that are out there now like, oh, God, can I? Do I, like... I, I do want to go global. Like there are still, there are women out there, oh, geez, there are women out there with, you know, really large ambitions still. And I think, again, if they're applying the same lens of, you know, this is my purpose and um, this decision aligns with my values, then kudos, you know, and, I, and perhaps it's not, perhaps the pathway there is not the same as what we've traditionally seen and it is, a, you know, hopefully they can get there in a, in a way that honours their feminine or honours just who they are as, as a person and, and, you know, they're able to tap into the networks and, you know, do it in a way that makes sense. But it's almost like damned if you do, damned if you don't at the moment. Like, mm. Yeah, I get you know, that. It's, yeah, do you, do you get that? Level, like, on some level, on some level. It's such a, it's such a dicey one. If I can, like, gently move into coach for anyone listening I think mm. my invitation to you is in your ambition to go global is to hand on heart know what you're funding and subscribing mm. to when you do. And if you feel good about that, then fucking yeah, like let's go. But if you mm. understand on some level that by doing that you're actually subscribing to and funding the system that makes us sick, mm. then I think that's when it really, you know, is something that we need to think again. Is this the conditioning of capitalism and colonialism mm. or is this mm. actually my pure dharmic purpose, ambition? Th- like is where is it kind of coming from? That would be my invitation, but I think you're right, like, I mean, it's so, it's just so, dip, like, it's individual. It's like everyone's situation mm, it is, is so it different. Is. It is. But I think you're right there. I think, like, you've got to ask yourself what's the broader impact that I can have. And, like, you know, we're speaking to a founder um, at the moment who has come up with an alternative for plastics, right, um, made out of seaweed. And cool. Like, it, and it's yeah. brilliant, right, but her impact is felt globally like obviously we need to solve this problem like there is a huge problem we need to eradicate you know plastics Mm. and she's doing that and the only way to have serious significant impact is by going global but not only that she's managed to tap into um seaweed farmers right right around the globe so that's where she'll be sourcing her the raw materials a lot of those seaweed farmers are actually female and so this is going to have a broad economic impact a significant broad economic impact on women right and like this is this is like, this is the hard thing. It's like, I don't want to stand here and, and tell women, well, don't have big goals and, you know, kind of, and it's almost just taking like a localized global approach, which I also love. And in her circumstance, it just all seems to like seem align really, really beautifully, you know, to this conversation. But I think, I think everyone, right. No matter how you identify, like you're a human, what is your broader impact? Not only on the planet, on yourself, you know, are you making decisions based off out of, you know, based on your ego? Like, is this just an ego play? That's going to get tiring and 
run out very, very quickly. <laughs> you lose respect, you'll lose friends. But if, you know, you really do want to make a big impact on the on the world and um, that's, that's also okay, but do it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. There's this framework that... Um, the, the investing program we're doing comes up all the time, which is when you're sort of speaking to a founder and, and, and talking to them about their business, try and discern whether they're a missionary or a mercenary. So a missionary is somebody whose mission is their business. It's all about the impact. It's all about their personal connection to the impact that they're having in the problem. A mercenary is someone who sees a an opportunity and goes after it. The connection to the problem or isn't as important to them. Um, and Startmate and Blackbird, who we're doing the program with, are all about backing missionaries. So I think it's a really good framework mm. for people to kind of apply to themselves. Like, are you a missionary? Are you doing this because it's really connected to your purpose and the impact that you want to have? Or is it more about just the opportunity that you see? So mm. that's really useful helpful. One. Thank you. That's yeah. Super valuable. Um, all of this talk of impact and success, etc., leads me to my final question, which um, I know you're a little bit familiar with the podcast. I used to sort of, um, my final question used to be asking people who are they when they're sitting in their true self. Now um, it's the merging of these two things because in my view they are one. Um, when you're sitting in your true self, how do you define success? I think for me, this is something that I'm still, like it's an evolution. I think my definition of success is always evolving and changing. I think past me, my definition of success was about recognition. It actually wasn't about money or financial success. For me, it was recognition. Throughout my whole career and probably the early years of Lady Brains, I think now my definition of success is evolving to become more around what are the depth and the quality of the relationships in my life. Mm. It's actually about the people. Like, am I feeling my most vibrant self so that I can give to the most important relationships in my life? Am I showing up for those people? Are they showing up for me? How amazing is my relationship, my friendships, my relationships with my family? And that's a big change for me because my definition was always about work. And for me, it's like, it's actually not about work anymore. Actually, the relationships in my life, the depth of those relationships is the most important thing. If they're fulfilling and happy and vibrant, then that's success. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely echo that. I think it's all about the people that you surround yourself with and those relationships that you're building Um, and serving other people, having people that have your back. It's so nice. It's so nice to be surrounded by people like that. Um, So when I'm sitting in myself, who am I and what success? Yeah, it's like when I see the faces that are surrounding me. Um, that are championing you and that you can champion back. Um, that's definitely, definitely what success is. I also think it's just being able to like, just speak your truth, 
You know, I think sometimes we just make up stories. And we, we, we have this saying where like, don't believe your own bullshit. It's like when you get to a place where you can just really believe and speak your truth, I think that's, that's a place of ultimate success. And I think like health, you know, like health is just being healthy. Like, oh, it's so hard to do anything when your body, your mind, your heart is not in a good place. Mm-hmm. And it's everybody's responsibility to take care of their health yeah. for yourself, but for other people, because it does have a significant effect on other people. Um, so, you know, for me, it's, it's that alignment of, you know, am I feeling good? Am I healthy? That's the ultimate, you know, who are the people that are surrounding, surrounding me and who are the, you know, those smiling faces looking back and what am I doing every day? Am I happy? Mm. Am I waking up feeling soulfully good and knowing that I'm doing good? Mm. You can't fault that. You can't fault getting up and putting your best foot forward every single day. They're both incredibly, you know, both sweet and very encouraging answers, you know. (laughs) And I've been doing a little bit of this reflecting at the end of episodes lately of, for anyone listening, we really need to hear these definitions and allow them to land in the body because there's two people who are helping Um, people get their ideas off the ground and you're deep in that founder space and that investment space, your answers aren't actually about that. And so it's really important for us to hear that and acknowledge um, that it is more about the richness of life and that it's not, we are not what we do for a living. Our work is a productive outlet for our fulfillment and our gifts and our skills and our transmission, but it does not define us. And as you were speaking, I just thought a lot about like, yeah, can we wake up and say like, does this feel true? You know, and not every day, probably not, (laughs) but we want more (laughs) days than less days. Mm, Um, Yep. (laughs) Well, this has been... What really feels like a couple of years in the making. I know. (laughs) Um, And an absolute honour to host you both. Um, Mm. And I really want to say thank you for going some places with me. I feel like we had a really rich conversation. Mm. I think we had a really interesting conversation about what it means to build things. Absolutely. And thank you for having us yeah. on. It's so nice to sit and talk to you. Mm. It's, uh, You're such a it soothing presence. Feel, it's like, oh. yeah, <laughs> it doesn't feel difficult. And I no. think, you know, it it opens up um, the door for vulnerability, which I think, you know, is so important, um, especially in business where most people are saying, <laughs> manufacture a story and and don't show the truth, right, as we kind of alluded to earlier. But, yeah, it's really nice to be able to just sit and openly chat about the realities of being a human. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. 
If something I said today landed deeply in your body and felt true, I want to encourage you to move into intentional action. Visit getoffline.co and consider signing up to my mailing list. You'll receive conscious career love notes from me, invitations to learn with me, and much more. One last thing. If you know someone who would benefit from listening to Offline, please share it with them. 